0: Hey, I Doth Protest listeners, I had a little scheduling slip up as any newbie podcaster has, and this week's episode is actually not about Cindy Killian, as I promised in my last episode. Just a little snafu, but I totally forgot that the March for Science was happening so soon when I wrote narrations for the last episode. So surprise, we're talking about science today. Moving on. When I heard about the March for Science, my immediate reaction was, I'll admit, A little defensive. Since my life revolves around the liberal arts, I was thinking, why does science even need a march? Liberal arts are way less appreciated in society and just as important. On top of that, I grew up in a science-centric family, if that's a thing. My grandpa was a well-known state conservationist, my dad is a biology professor, my brother is a composite engineer, and my mom is a nurse. So. The idea that science could be undervalued or underrepresented in society was surprising and maybe just a little outraging to me, the poor starving artist over here. To learn more about what this march was all about, I sat down with Mark Asplin, an etymologist, and Kate Reese, a chemist, who are both professors at Metropolitan State University in St. Paul. I asked them why they would march April 22nd and what their goals were in doing so. I'm your host, Kim Schneider, and this is iDoc for Test.
1: I am an entomologist. I study insect ecology. Uh, my background is. Um, I, when I was a kid, I was really into animals, um, and it was first whales. Everything I wanted to study has gotten smaller. So I started out really into whales, um, and then I originally was a real little kid. I wanted to be a zookeeper. My dad brought me into, he's like, I said, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a zookeeper. My dad said, you know what zookeepers do, son? <laughs> and he's like, you know, they shovel Stuff, you know, it was like, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I want to be a biologist. So I knew from a very early age that I wanted to study animals. Um, so as I sort of got into science, I started to realize that whales were a terrible system to study because half the time you don't know where they are. Um, they're really big, they're hard to, you know, I can't swim, so there were a lot of very well, there's a lot of problems with that. So eventually I started studying crabs, and crabs led to insects, and insects don't generally live in the water, so I didn't have a problem with swimming. So that is uh, where, where I got into things. So I've always been a lifelong, I was one of those kids that like collected the stuff in jars and hid it in the house.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, I ended up getting started kind of more from the teaching end and then discovering that what I wanted to teach was science. So I think from early age I wanted to be a teacher, I was always that annoying kid who got done really early and then would run around and help other people um, against the teacher's wishes. And so, once I was getting closer to college, I was kind of looking at the coursework that I had taken, and chemistry just seemed to make the most sense like applied math, thump- something that you can actually use math for something tangible and understandable. And so I went to school for chemistry um, down in Texas, I'm actually from Texas, um, and had some really great professors that encouraged me to continue on to go to graduate school. I'd never actually heard of graduate school before because I was a pseudo first generation type student. Um, and so I went on to graduate school and studied um, material science. Again, that, that idea of something being applicable, applicable, and the idea that it has a purpose. Um, In solving problems. uh, I think that's what really draws me to science and and what I've kind of um, discovered as I went on this idea of maybe being a teacher and then realizing the science part of it is actually pretty cool too. (laughs) Um, And so I'm really lucky to share that passion with other people. I mean I I think I'm so lucky to be in this job to be able to be like, hey chemistry really isn't that terrible. It can be a lot of fun. Um, And that really is, I think, more where my passion is less on the research side but more on the educating and being like, this is cool guys, like, it's cool.
4: Yeah,
1: Yeah. I've always felt I've enjoyed both. I mean, I love doing research, I love learning more about the natural world and these crazy things that we ignore every day. Um, So there are, you know, 8 to 12 million species of insects and there are 5,000 species-ish of mammals. So to put that in perspective, it's not really our world, it's theirs.
3: And do you both plan on going the March this Saturday? Yep. Definitely. We are going to be there with Metropolitan State University contingent. So there's a whole bunch of us. Uh, there's several people from the library and management program. Um, and we've sent invitations out to faculty, staff, alumni, and students. Um, In fact, today we're having a poster-making session, so that way people can have posters ready to go. Because we really think it's super important that, you know, science doesn't just have to be for the scientists. I mean, you interact with science every single day. And so, to be able to read the newspaper and understand what's going on, to be able to look at the back of a prescription bottle or, or food label and understand kind of what you're putting into your body, I think is just the basis of living. And so, um, to really be represented there um, as Metropolitan State University, I think is is really important because you know we're we're doing the educating part, but it, it it's for everybody.
1: And I think it could be argued that it's been a failing of scientists to not communicate why their work is important. I mean these these things that have gone on on Twitter, like do you know a scientist, and how many people don't know a scientist.
3: I didn't know a scientist. Right, (laughs) right, right. I mean, I think
1: people don't know scientists. And so it's, again, if it's, if it's not relatable to people's lives, they're not going to think about it every day. And then when questions like funding decisions come along, it's not on the radar, other things are on the radar, or at least more, uh, more on people's radars than others, other things. So I think it has been an issue where scientists have largely talked to each other. I think there's a big sort of, you know, the scientific community, you know, writes manuscripts and those manuscripts are read in the jargon of science, so they're read by scientists and they're not as accessible. So that's why this whole SciComm movement of making sure scientific communication is a critical part, because it's critical to survival of science. If Science can't communicate its importance to society beyond simply the discoveries that it makes communicated among other scientists, then um, you know we shouldn't be surprised at some of these these outcomes that we see.
0: Do you feel that um, science has had a less of importance in society recently or over the past couple of years? No,
1: I think its importance is as strong as ever. I wonder sometimes if there hasn't been enough emphasis on training scientists to be good communicators in a, uh, into the general public. I, I feel like that's not something when you go and get a PhD in science you are ever really taught. How do you relate this? Uh, we did have a great uh, person in our department who always asked during preliminary exams, right, so you go in front of your doctoral committee and they ask you a bunch of questions. They said, okay, imagine I'm a person on a bus Tell me in five minutes why I should care at all about the work that you do. You know, and that that makes you think, because you have to sit there and go, what's my elevator pitch? What is my, this is all this research that I have invested a huge amount of time and energy and devotion to. This little tiny area of scientific research, you know, that's my expertise. If I can't tell somebody why it's important, it's hard, you know. That's a critical part of this of the process, and I, it's not taught. It's not something that you ever really take a course in. It's not something that, you, that your faculty mentor will necessarily ever tell you. Okay, now remember: here are the things you got to publish a lot, you got to you get good teaching reviews, and really important: talk to people about science. Make sure that people understand the importance of what you're doing.
3: And I think with um, a lot of the stuff that's been going on lately, and I hate to use the phrase "fake news" because that's thrown around a little too much these days, Um, there's been a lot of misinformation as to what is actually scientifically relevant and true. And so I think if we get better at communicating our message and what actually is true, and that sometimes new discoveries change what we learn about science, it's always ever growing, and that people can be okay with that, I think um, misinformation will go down, and people can be better educated about the choices that they make. Um, in everyday life and in supporting science and realize that we're not um, there's nothing malicious about it we, we seriously are in the job of discovery and trying to get a better understanding and conveying that. What are you guys hoping to
0: gain out of the march or what kind of I guess effect are you hoping to have?
1: I think my goal is to see people embrace a pro-science message I'm not really interested in the bigger sort of political front of this in terms of it's not about being negative towards one political party or anything else what it's really about is emphasizing the importance of science to our daily lives the importance of science in policy making that that not in terms of a political party science is is not about you know it's
3: universal it's universal right any decision
1: (laughs) right, that you're dealing with, for example, natural resources, there's a scientific component to that. What do we know about these resources? What do we know about how renewable they are, you know? What do we know about the economics of it? Um, These can all be, um, you know, there can be scientific principles that can be considered, and there are things that we know about these things, and we never want it to be the case where the scientific knowledge is buried because it's inconvenient, because it's, um, you know, well, those facts are not, convenient to some sort of narrative that's not the way science works science is about throwing out bad ideas right that is the scientific method it's you falsify a hypothesis and you move to the next one Um, and i think that part of the confusion about science is that science is not is, is that that is that's really what it is it's it's a way of looking at the world it's a philosophical approach to looking at things testable hypothesis rejecting bad ideas falsified ideas even if they were originally good ideas, right? They may have been brilliant ideas, but they don't stand the test of data, and they need to be rejected in favor of of newer ideas.
3: And a little bit of my my selfish participation is visibility. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is like you know, people don't necessarily know scientists um, or know what it takes to be a scientist or or anything like that. So by participating and letting people know, hey, we have a science several fantastic science programs at Metropolitan State University. Hey, there's a bunch of students here getting great degrees going on to professional programs, graduate programs. Um, we're here and we can be that, that choice for you or, the, or that guide for you when you wanna talk about science or learn science. Um, so I think participating with this group, I think that's really important because, you know, we are the only public four-year institution alternative to the U and not everyone is built for the youth. It's a really great opportunity for us to really spread that message and show that we're present and we care about promoting this positive science message and that it can be for anybody.
1: I think that, that that it can be for anybody is also really important. I think everyone can close their eyes and have a view of a scientist and we're sort of, I think everybody has their cultural bias of what a scientist looks like if they close their eyes. Well,
3: Bill Nye the Science Guy.
1: Bill Nye the Science Guy, that's what they see. Bill Nye the Science Guy and I, one hope I get out of this march is that's not what you see, is a sea of Bill Nye the science guy. You see the tremendous amount of diversity in people that practice or are passionate about the scientific method and science. Yeah.
3: It's not just for one person, it's for it, everybody. Right.
1: Yeah. Or one type of person. Yep. It's, it's for everybody.
3: you telling me that Bill Nye isn't the only science? <laughs> <laughs> right. And they don't all wear bow ties, in oh, fact. God. You probably a little less snazzy. Yeah, no, no.
0: (laughs) I just want to back up to something you said. So I know you said like the march isn't politicized and they say on their website too like the march isn't politicized, but when I think about science, and I think about the specific things that do get studied or do get funding to get studied, it is very politicized. So how do you separate
1: the two? I, I think... Well, first of all, I think that that is something that has been an issue, the politicizing of science. I think this idea that, you know, that somehow certain scientific principles have suddenly become agendas of one political party and they're opposed by another. Take a point, climate change. Climate change is a, you know, there's... Great. There's a lot of scientific consensus on the basic tenets of human-mediated climate change. Now, does every single scientist agree on every single component of it? No. But is there general consensus that there are things that human activities have done to exacerbate changes in global temperatures and global weather patterns? There is broad scientific consensus. The National Academies of Sciences all across the world are in consensus of this. So to say this is a political issue when there's broad scientific consensus, it's hard to sit there and say, okay, well, so what we're saying is one party is basically uh, taking a stand that has broad scientific consensus and one doesn't. It shouldn't be that political. I think, you know, if you objectively look at the data, there's some, I hate to use Al Gore's term, but these inconvenient truths, right? <laughs> these, oh, and I don't hate to use it because Al Gore said it. I'm just saying I hate, I hate to use it because it's like a cliched term. Mm-hmm. But it, but it is. I mean, I think there are scientific principles that are inconvenient to our society. They are going to cause us to take some really hard looks at some of our economic policies, at some of our resource use policies, and some some people you know, don't like to ask those questions, and science is about asking questions, and sometimes there are questions that people feel shouldn't be asked, and that's tough in a scientific framework.
3: And and that's why I think our, our role is important in educating and communicating that effectively, so that way there isn't this politis, uh, political take on what the role of science has, you know, it really is. I mean, if there's consensus and there's a lot of people who really do a lot of great work, then that should kind of be what's looked at.
1: I also think it's important that a pro-science message is not an anti-other thing message. So I teach evolution, um, and this question always comes up when you teach a class in evolution. Sort of, well, what if I believe is, is, is something that is different from this sort of view of natural selection and a more and a, you know this kind of view of the origin of biodiversity is as through through evolution i always say science is a way of looking at the world through testable hypotheses that pass the test of multiple scrutinies right you do multiple experiments you test various parts of it they become theories and you know theories have now withstood many many questions about their validity and they remain unfalsified so you know the nature of what is a scientific theory, what is the nature of science, but not discounting other views, ways of viewing the world, right? Um, and you know, I don't think that there needs to be an adversarial relationship between other ways of viewing the world. Um, but I do think science has, scientists have a responsibility to put the data out there, put these ideas out there and say they are supported by the best efforts of the here and now.
3: Do you have anything else do you want, to, you want to add, either of you? I guess don't be afraid of science. I, I yeah. You know, I, I think there's a lot of fear, maybe you had a terrible teacher, that's usually what I get from my lower level classes, they're like, oh, I had the worst chemistry teacher, oh, I hate it, and don't let that discourage you from still trying to find interest in it or try and find understanding in it. It's more powerful than you could ever imagine. I just want to encourage people to, to reach out, talk about science, read a little article here and there learn some
1: new stuff. I think, you know, I always tell some of my biology classes, you know, you you watch the evening news or you read your daily newspaper and it's just, oh my God, all this same stuff about geopolitics and, you know, where there's a problem somewhere, there's a problem in your neighborhood and all of that stuff. And it's like, they just discovered in amber, a little bit of a dinosaur tail. And on that dinosaur tail were feathers, right? That's, like, this great evidence for this idea that there are dinosaurs walking around. There are turkeys and pigeons and, you know, songbirds, you know. And this, you know, that, that, that there's still this sense of discovery. But was that on CNN, you know, other than this tiny little blurb somewhere on back page 9 of the newspaper or on somewhere hidden on the website? Why can't those stories be more front and center as we're, you know looking at the world. and I, 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 Sometimes you have to seek out these scientific discoveries a little bit more than you have to seek out some other things. Um, but it's worth it. It's worth it to seek these new discoveries out, because new things are being discovered weekly, and they are newsworthy.
0: So, armed with these fresh perspectives on the March for Science, I walked down the street between the St. Paul Cathedral and Capitol Hill on April 22nd for the actual march. According to the Star Tribune, about 10,000 people marched for science in St. Paul, which was one of 12 marches to take place in Minnesota and one of 600 marches held around the world. Out of those 10,000 people, the marchers who really stuck out were the ones on stilts. You heard me right. Stilts. Aside from the fact that these three women on stilts were obviously several feet taller than all the other marchers, it was their extravagant, colorful costumes and what they were holding that really caught my eye. They each had a long pole with pink flowers made of tissue paper and head-sized paper mache honeybees tied to the end.
5: So I'm a member of Chicks on on Sticks, and it's an all-women stilt organization in Minneapolis. Okay, so you guys are
0: pollinators so,
5: so, we also work, all of us, with bare bones puppets, and uh, Bare Bones does an uh, annual pageant in the fall in St. Paul, Hidden Falls. And this last year, every year it's a theme of death or around death, and we are thinking a lot about bees this last year because bees have been really impacted uh, lately in huge ways. And so, we made these puppets last fall, and then we had very good occasion to bring them also to Earth Day today because it's still an issue. We're trying to Help people to be aware pollinators are essential for life and we need to protect them and there's a lot of chemicals that are being used that are actually pretty dangerous for pollinators right now. And so we're trying to raise awareness and to get people in an engaged but fun way to think about the pollinators that are really essential to our survival.
0: Speaking of bees, protecting pollinators has become an environmental goal for some school districts.
2: What brought you here today?
1: My wife is an environmental magnet, and she dragged me along.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by environmental magnet? Well,
1: what are you? What is your role, honey?
0: A sustainability manager
4: for my school. So. What school? Uh, for the school district 197, West St. Paul, Mendota Heights, oh, Okay. So promoting, you know, energy savings, recycling, moving green. We just became a pollinator-friendly district, so we've got a plan to promote. Um, You know, smart, uh, taking care of our landscaping and stuff in a way that promotes pollinators?
2: So the schools aren't getting their grass cut
1: because the clover blooms early, so the natural bees can feed on it, and our church isn't getting its grass cut early now because Lisa's talking everybody into leaving a grass lawn so that the bees get a start to the year. So there's honeybees and natural bees, and honeybees are good, but the natural bees need help. So that's that's the native bees, so that's what she's focused on. Okay, and why do you guys care about
0: science? Why do we care about science?
3: (laughs) <laughs> because science is the way we will help protect our planet. And that's our responsibility to protect the planet, and we need help doing that. And it's through science is that we help make a planful, intentional path to create a sustainable planet.
0: Would this really count as a podcast about a protest without interviewing a few college students? This is Brie.
2: So we all came from the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. Um, there's like 40-something of us that came on a bus. Um, And I guess the reason I'm here is mostly to do with climate change. That's something I'm really passionate about, and I think it's important that we're looking at the evidence and the facts for that, and that people realize how important it is and how drastic it can change our, like, world,
3: I'm Anna. I'm also here because of climate change. I'm a bio major, and I want to go to medical school, and I think it's just really, really important that people realize that science is real and it can really help us in our world.
0: I'm Tony. I'm also from CSBSGU, I am a biology major as well, and I'm really excited about empowering young women to be involved in the science fields. Besides climate change, like what really inspired you guys to march today?
2: Well, for me, um, a lot of it has to do with the election and everything that's been going on in news recently. I'm a poli-sci minor, so it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, And just the whole EPA and Trump's budget cuts and everything that has a direct effect on how we deal with climate is really concerning for me. And so seeing so many people here just really brings hope to me and to a lot of people here, I think.
3: Yeah, I think, I wish it wasn't this way, but the government has a lot of say in how much funding we have for science things and things like that, and now it's being threatened, so that worries me. And I think, by events like this, people are empowered to do things and take action and make a difference.
0: I also talked to Jean Larson, an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota's Center for Spirituality and Healing. She also manages nature-based therapeutic services at the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. Her group of marchers traveled with a life-sized, painted wooden moose on wheels, as well as other cutout animals native to Minnesota wildlife.
4: We did a program a couple of years ago called 30 by 30, 30 minutes in nature each day for 30 days. It was a campaign to get the staff and students at the university out into nature to, to enjoy the benefits, free and accessible benefits of just being out in nature in the hopes that as you learn to appreciate nature, then you can take care of nature. So that's always our highest calling is for people to understand. But the therapeutic benefits of just being in nature are astounding. We're the research is sharing with us that um, just being just 30 minutes in nature can help to restore your you know your creativity and your reduce your stress and um, so we're trying to get that message out in what we do. I'm an introvert and it was a, I had to speak on behalf of the earth and so um, we decided as a staff that we would get together and make these puppets and uh, have this have the the animals speak for us Um, and we speak for them we're living in a very strange time and it's so obvious that I mean, it's, I don't need to even advocate for science because science is, is, it's a fundamental part of our democracy. (laughs) It just seems so ironic that here we are, we're politicizing it. Um, And so just was from an ethical and a moral standpoint on an individual level, but then also sharing our message that we have to take care of the earth because we, it's, we breathe. I mean, that's the only way we can breathe. You know, without the earth, we don't breathe. It's kind of elementary. So next time,
0: I pinky promise you will hear from Cindy Killian, who, in case you forgot, is a longtime LGBTQ and Indigenous issues activist and lifetime journalist. I'm curious to hear what you listeners think about the March for Science and what our guests had to say today. So feel free to send your thoughts to iDothProtest on Facebook, leave a review on iTunes, or send an email to idothProtestPodcast at gmail.com. I'll also be posting some pictures from the march to the protest Facebook page, so be sure to check them out and like the page. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kim Schneider, and this is iDothProtest.